Get to get those um, evangelism cards. Those are huge as far as spreading the gospel. Um, I'm just excited again to be back here. Um, I think Rod did a great job last week preaching for us. I was glad I didn't have to preach for a week. So it's always good when when you can get a, a week off. But it always means I come back a little bit more fiery um, than when I left. So I'm praying for y'all. Um, we're just excited to expound the word of God again. If you remember, um, when we left off two weeks ago, we talked explicitly about how God is able to destroy the division and the disunity in the church and bring us into one family. If you recall, we closed by discussing how the Bible tells us that we are being built together as the church into one building, into one house, into one fellowship because of the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit. That we are held together by the, as the church by the very work of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately that closed out our discussion of chapter 2 of Ephesians for us and now we've been carried on into chapter 3. Now, Chapter 3 is very interesting, and it gets very interesting in this regard. Chapter 3 gets interesting in this regard because we see that Paul is writing to tell us about the work that God had instructed for him to do. He is writing very specifically about the work that God has given for him to do. But he is also writing to clarify the role that he has as an apostle in the church that God has given him. He then talks about how God entrusted in him the preaching of the gospel specifically to the Gentiles. And he had given him the revelation of the Old Testament mystery and God made him a minister of that gospel truth. Paul then writes in great detail about the mysteries of the Old Testament. And let me make it clear to you. Anytime you see that Paul says it is a mystery, remember, that is an Old Testament truth that is revealed to us in Scripture by Jesus Christ. It is something that happens that is done because of Jesus Christ's work on the cross. And Paul is claiming to have had the full breath and revelation of that gospel truth. And he says that through him that mystery has been revealed. And God gave him that revelation as God revealed it to him. He then proceeded to reveal it to the church at Ephesus. And then in the church at Ephesus he writes that and he reveals that gospel truth to all of us. And so now that he has done that he brings us to this point where he describes being somehow given this revelation because of the grace of God. See, what was veiled to him in the Old Testament, what was veiled to those who were in the Old Testament, has been revealed to Paul. This writing by Paul is so incredibly powerful and transparent on his part. And there are so many layers of truth that God revealed to Paul that Paul subsequently revealed to all of us. And with great clarity and faithfulness, Paul wrote, and we will prayerfully be blessed by the words that God gave him.
So join with me, if you will, in the reading of our scripture, Ephesians chapter 3. And we're beginning at verse 1. And it reads, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into this mystery of Christ, which has not been made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Amen to the reading of God's word. Paul begins here like we have seen him begin a few times. He reaches back to a previously made point to connect the dots. And he uses that point to explain his current behavior and his current condition. Here we see that Paul says, because we have been built together as a dwelling place, one church. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. See, Paul identifies himself, but he does so in a way that relates his imprisonment directly to the Gentiles being one in Christ. Paul is confessing that the ministry that has been entrusted to him by God has led him to imprisonment. It has taken him out of his comfortable life. In other words, Paul says that the gospel, which is free, has come to him at a tremendous cost. See, Paul had given up his livelihood so that he could preach the gospel to the Gentiles. See, Ephesians serves somewhat as a quick autobiography of the life of Paul by which he tells us how he ended up where he is. Now, remember, Paul tells us in Galatians that when he was in Judaism, when he was serving the Jews, he was advancing quicker than any other Jews among him. See, Paul wasn't just a Jew, but Paul was a leading Pharisee. And because he was a leading Pharisee, Paul was advancing faster than the people, the men of his own age. He was revered. He was feared. He was loved. He was honored as a Pharisee. And he says that is because he was 
faithful to the tradition of his fathers. Now, he is zealous about those traditions. He is respected. He is revered. He is loved. But somehow, now we look at the life of Paul and Paul is in prison. See, Paul had been in this specific prison for two years. But in total, he had been in prison for five consecutive years because of the gospel. How is it when Paul was doing the work of Satan, his life was prosperous as we would define it. But the minute he converted, he started to fail in what we would define as prosperity on earth. But his spiritual ability began to prosper. See, what has happened here is that Paul, the gospel forced Paul to forsake everything that he was. It it caused him to forsake everything that made him who he was apart from Jesus Christ. He gave up everything that made him successful in everybody else's eyes apart from God's. See, it didn't bring him more earthly prosperity as we are often promised, but it actually brought him earthly downfall. See, he has been in prison, but remember, we know that Paul has been shipwrecked. We know that Paul has been bitten by a snake. We know that Paul has been beaten by rods. We know that Paul has been stoned and survived. We know that Paul received 39 lashes five times. How is it that when he was zealous of the tradition of his fathers, his life was much more prosperous. And now that he has been converted, it seems that everything began to collapse on him. Now, one simple reason is, is that when we are fighting on the devil's side, there is no reason for anything to happen that will pull us apart from that. There is no reason that Satan needs to combat us when we are actively fighting to get for him. Remember, when they accused Jesus of being Satan, they called him Beelzebub. And he says, Satan can't cast out Satan. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Why were many of us, when we were zealous for the things that were apart from Jesus Christ's prosperity, we were prosperous because we were living our lives apart from Jesus Christ. And we were living for ourselves. See, it, it didn't bring him more earthly prosperity. It brought him an earthly prison. See, Paul's true prosperity came from when he was walking in step with the plan of Satan and his reputation grew and he prospered and he advanced. But when Christ saved him, he gave him the full breath of his spiritual prosperity while everything around his natural life began to collapse. But the beautiful thing that Paul says here is who he is a prisoner of. That's the beautiful part. Notice, he doesn't do like we do when there are things going wrong in our lives and we say, oh, the devil is busy, the devil is working, the devil is doing this, the devil in my business, the devil in my house, he in my marriage, he in my finances, he in my health. It's not the devil. Paul says, I'm not a prisoner to Satan. I'm not a prisoner to Rome. I'm not a prisoner to the Jews. I'm not a prisoner to the government. I'm not even a prisoner to myself. I am a prisoner to Jesus Christ. 
I am in prison because of Jesus Christ. See, the government couldn't take responsibility for putting Paul in that prison because before Paul was ever physically in prison, he was spiritually a prisoner to Jesus Christ. And he says that the reason that is, is because of the gospel. His life was solely under the control of Christ and subjected to the authority of Christ alone. So he has a dual meaning here. Not only is is he in prison because of Christ making him a prisoner, but he was a prisoner spiritually, not just physically. See, this is what it means to make Jesus your Lord. See, it's one thing to say, yes, I'm saved. I'm saved by his power divine. I'm saved. Sweet life sublime. Life is not sweet. My joy is complete because I'm saved. That's wonderful. But what does it mean to be subjected to his lordship? See, that's what everybody wants to be saved, but nobody wants Jesus to be their Lord. Because now you're saying that I am a slave to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We love to sing, my life is not my own, to you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. Yeah, the song is cute, is it true? Do we sing that song with true and real conviction? No, my life is not my own. I don't belong to myself. We read it a few weeks ago. I have been bought with a price. I am now his possession. Which means I don't live for me. I don't live for you. I live for the Lord Jesus Christ of whom my life is now a prisoner to. See, that has to be the testimony of all of us. That we are prisoners to Christ. Paul then goes on to describe how he got the depths of this revelation. He said that because God had entrusted to him the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles, he became a steward of God's grace. Now, Paul's always using these interesting terms that we don't see used anywhere else in the Bible. And he does it again here. See, Paul knows how incredibly God has blessed him, but he doesn't see it as an opportunity for him to brag on himself. See, Paul knew something that we all must realize. That everything he was and everything he wasn't was a product of God's grace. See, God had given him a brilliant mind and an incomparable ability to understand the mysteries of the Old Testament. But Paul remembered one thing that we often forget. It was God given. God gave him that gift. God gave him that ability. Listen, all of us in various ways have been gifted by God with varying gifts and varying abilities. And God has made us all stewards of those gifts. We are to use those gifts to glorify God, to bring him glory, his call and for his purposes. Because remember, we are prisoners to the lordship of Jesus himself. 
Many times I've noticed, even in the church, specifically actually in the church, we have been given these gifts, yet we walk around like they aren't gifts. Gifts are given. They are not earned. That's one of the reasons why I don't stand up here and ruminate about all my eloquent abilities to use fancy words, words that are so loquacious and effusive of praise for God, because that only brings me glory. What does it do for God if I stand here and I do vocal acrobatics to you and I get all the glory? It prevents the gospel from being heard. That very gift which comes from God, I could absolutely use to my own gain. But I will not profane the gift because if my life is subject to the Lordship of Christ, that means every gift that he has given me is subjected to the Lordship of Christ. So you can't say I'm a Christian, but I do this because I need to make money. No, every gift is subjected to the Lordship of Christ. I don't care how good you are at doing it. If you do it apart from the Lord, then the gift is subjected to you, not him. And so that's what Paul is saying here. He says, I've been given this gift, but it is a gift. I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. I didn't do anything. That means that anything that you are good at, you are good at it because God made you good at it. That's why. Anything that you can do, you can do it because God allows you to do it. I remember I've been having some conversations with many non-Christians and one of the common issues that they have is that they don't understand why we can't take the full responsibility of who we are and what we are and our gifts and our talents. Like, why I got to give God the credit? But I always ask them this question. Did you make you? Listen, everybody in this room, everybody except for Jesus Christ was born against their will. Every single one of us. Nobody in this room willed ourselves to be born. It was according to God's will. Which means every trait and attribute that I was born with was according to the will of God to be used according to the will of God for the purposes of God. So it doesn't matter what that gift is. You did not give yourself that gift. Use it for the glory of God. It's simple. So we can't take credit for it. We can't say, I did that. You didn't do anything. Listen, I like the way Paul says it. Paul tells us in scripture, he says, I worked harder than them all. But then he says, but it wasn't me working. It was Christ who was working in me. See, that's the default position of Christians. Yeah, I may be successful, or I may be doing well, or I may be prospering. It's not me doing it. It is Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that he gives us all a measure of faith as it pleases him. So that means 
When God is working through me, it is him working. Because I am an empty vessel without the Holy Spirit at work inside of me. Knowing this, how humbly we should serve, but also carefully we would manage the gifts that God has given us and everything he has done for us. That is why Paul said he's a steward of God's grace. He is managing God's grace because God graced him to be able to have this brilliant mind, to be able to understand these things. And so what he doesn't want to do is mishandle the grace that God had given him. That makes sense. God has graced us and gifted us in various ways. And we have to be careful and delicate stewards over what he has given. That's not just for the preacher in the pulpit. That's for every single one of us who has been gifted and graced to do whatever God has gifted us and graced us to do. We have to carefully manage and steward it. We must properly steward these gifts and use them in such a way that God is glorified much more than we are. He says that the grace of God brought the revelation of the gospel to him. Now, what was that revelation? That revelation was that the salvation that was coming was not for the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. But that Gentiles were brought in because of the saving death of Christ. He says that he was able to see clearly what was veiled to the eyes of others. And by the way, Orthodox Jews are still veiled from seeing this truth. We are able to see the truth because God saw fit to reveal the truth to us. Paul says the same thing. And he wrote about it. Let's see. Galatians 1 and 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, listen to this, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Hmm. Why? In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing you, writing to you, I'm writing before God. I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They, were, they, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. See, look, Paul confirms a few things here and I want you to see them. One, he confirms that God, not Paul, was responsible for his sanctification. God, not Paul, was responsible for him being set apart. He was, he was who he was because God called him according to his grace. But he was pleased to do so. Number two, he also confirms that God alone gave him the revelation of the gospel. 
He said, I didn't go to anybody else. I didn't consult with anyone. I went to Peter and James and all they did was confirm the revelation that was given to me by God. Why is this important? It's important because no one else can get the glory that belongs to God. Not Paul, not anyone else. It was the work and the grace of God. He reminds them that that this was not revealed to anyone else, but God saw fit for whatever reason he saw fit to give him this revelation. What was the revelation? Jesus Christ was the one who brought the Jews and Gentiles into one family. And the Gentiles, that is us, have all been adopted into that family. They are members of the body. Now, Paul says that the only reason God gave had given him that revelation is simply that it glorified God for him to have it. It wasn't because of Paul's goodness. It wasn't because of Paul's greatness. It glorified God to give him the gift. Why? Because they say he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy God's great grace to Paul brought great glory to God. If you are ever fishing for a reason to understand why God has given you whatever grace he has given you, know that that grace is not for you alone, but it is to bring glory to the name of God. It is not to bring glory to yourself. Paul then says that he was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Now, you may think that this caused Paul to feel a great sense of pride or boastfulness or self-righteousness, but it actually does the opposite in Paul. Paul doesn't feel worthy of this gift. He doesn't feel pride. You could argue that Paul actually feels the weight of this gift. Paul tells us that he had anxiety because of the churches that God had given him. He told us that he had sleepless nights because of the gift and the grace of God. Paul felt the tremendous weight of the grace of God. He didn't feel like it brought him boastful arrogance. Now, he says, yes, God has gifted me by his power, but I am the very least of the saints. How? Why would Paul, of all people, he wrote 13 epistles, possibly more. He confronted many Jewish leaders. He confronted Christian leaders. How could Paul be the one to say, but I'm the very least of all the saints? Why would he say that? Listen, this is not false humility like we have unto God be the glory. This is not that. Paul understood and he knew fully who he was and what he did prior to his conversion. Now, you say, well, ain't this the same Paul that said forgetting those things? Yes, that's the same Paul. But oftentimes when he talks about forgetting those things, he's not talking about forgetting your defeat or forgetting your sin. He's talking about forgetting the areas in which you were successful. Forgetting the things by which you had done independent of God. Forget those things. But we should absolutely remember who we were prior to our conversion. He knew of his own unworthiness. That is what 
That is what he has made me marvel at the talk of people who are upset about whatever may be going on with Kanye West, whether he's a Christian or not. I do not know. My hope is that he's a Christian. Why is that? Because I hope that everybody is a Christian. And I posted on Facebook, I don't understand how any reasonable Christian will take a victory lap if he falls. We should not do that. Anybody who is professing to be a Christian, we should absolutely support until we see any evidence otherwise. And then we preach to them the gospel. Now, what angers me is that people are like, All right, he can't be saved. Ain't no way Kanye got saved. Listen, I don't marvel at Kanye's salvation. I marvel at my own. I can't get over the fact that I'm saved. So how would I waste time worrying about if he's saved or not? I look in the mirror every day and wonder if I'm saved or not. See, listen, if he can save me, he can save anybody. Because let me tell you, I am the worst sinner that I know. Because I know me more than I know anybody else. And I know my heart. I know my thoughts. I know my ways. I can't marvel at Kanye's salvation because I'm still marveling about my own. I still can't conceive that you saved me, God. You gave me your grace. You gave me your mercy. How could God's grace have worked for me? I don't understand it. How could his mercy have converted me? I can't understand it. But what I do know is when I look at myself, I can't see any way that I can be saved. But when I look at him, I can't see any way that I could possibly be lost. That is how salvation works. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Timothy. 1 and 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly, listen to this, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorant in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I'm the worst sinner that I know. I'm the filthiest person that I know, yet he came into the world to save sinners, and I am the chief sinner. I'll take that medal from anybody in this room. But he came into the world to save me. Only he could take my black heart, pour his red blood on it, and make me white as snow. That is who we're talking about. The grace of God causes this hymn to reign true in my mind. Where love could remember no wrongs we have done. Omniscient all knowing he counts not their sum. Thrown into the sea without bottom or shore. Our sins they are many. 
His mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly roam. What father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. What riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath the debt we could not afford. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy, it is more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more stronger than darkness and new every morn. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. That is the God that we serve. How beautiful these words are to those of us who know that we are the least of these. I don't need anybody to tell me I'm great. I don't need anybody to tell me I'm better than what I am. I am worse than you can imagine because I know who I am. But thanks be to God that he's so fit to save me. Like Paul, we are all utterly unworthy. But Paul tells us here that though we though he has no reason to be truly worthy of any of this, that God still saw fit to use him to bring to light the unsearchable riches of Christ. See, God's divine plan happens through us. He uses us to accomplish his divine work and plan. What is it God is trying to do through you based on how he has gifted you and graced you and saved you? And how are you wasting it on things that do not matter? What has called God, what has God called you to do? How has God called you to be used? Your purpose is not this fallacy of you will be great. Your purpose is to serve the purpose and will of God. That is the will of God for your life. You don't need to read a book about it. I can tell you about it. Your purpose is to serve the will and the plans of God. That's why you are alive. See, God's divine plan happens through us. Paul needed the same thing that we all need. God's grace. He needed God's grace to do any of it. Look at what he endured as a fact of being saved by the grace of God. To even communicate these unsearchable riches, Paul knows that he needed God's grace to stand up for him and be the backbone of everything he could speak. But then he reminds us that this grace was to bring God glory. He says, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Let's look at this. God, because of his supreme goodness, gave Paul the grace that he needed God then turned around and used the grace that he gave Paul to bring glory to himself. But look at this. 
That glory doesn't just sit there in the lap of God and he and he, he absorbs it and he loves it and he longs for more of it because he needs it. God takes that glory and he provides that glory in a box. That box is called the gospel. The gospel is then presented to all of us by which we can all be saved. That is what God's glory truly does is that he packaged it in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross for his father. That was the ultimate test of God's glory. And he crucified his son so that his son would bring eternal life to everyone who would believe. What kind of God is this that we serve? It's like the disciple says, what manner of man is this? That even the seas obey him. How amazing is it for us to see how God has taken things that are eternal in nature and he has veiled them in such a way that we can understand them, be saved by them, preach them to others and watch other people be saved because of them. That's a great God. Finally, he brings it all home. He says, this was according to the eternal purpose that, has reali- that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. God's grace has to us has caused us to make great and known his name. How? Our salvation becomes our testimony of the grace of God, which is to his glory. And Paul tells us he's done this according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. God was most glorified when he crucified his son on our behalf. Nothing has ever brought him more glory than that. This revelation has has given us inseparable access to God. Not only has it given us access, but we can boldly go to the throne of God because we have been given an intercessor on our behalf who mediates between us and God. And that is Jesus Christ, our high priest. And this gives us confidence because there is nothing anyone can do to change the nature of our relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Because his position is unchanging just like him. So that's why we don't lose hope. Because when it rains, God is good. When it pains, God is good. When we win and when we sin, God is from everlasting to everlasting. And nothing can separate us from his love. Not even our suffering, which, by the way, is our glory. Why is suffering our glory? Because like Paul said, if we must boast, let us boast in what shows our weaknesses. Because when we are weak, his strength is made perfect in us. 
We all need the perfect strength of God to resonate in us. And why is that our glory? Because it doesn't really bring us glory. It brings him glory. When we are steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the word. So, as I close, you may be asking, well, Brandon, what can I do with this sermon now? You done preached all this stuff. I didn't get no points. I didn't get no, you didn't help me out. What am I going to do with this sermon? Let me tell you. You get with God. You take full advantage. You take inventory of the grace that God has provided around you. You take inventory of the way that God has gifted you. What God has put in your hand. All the things that you know that you don't deserve. Your life. Your career. Your abilities. Your family. Everything that God has given you. Take inventory of it. And you look at the ways that you have neglected to provide him his glory. And you take all the things that God has gifted you, that he has graced you to have, and you give it the glory that God deserves. That's what you do with this sermon. Let's pray.